Hey, you're listening to Tech Talks with Lou and I'm Lou Temlett. I hope you're having a good day and I'm really thankful for you being here. So this is Tech Talks with Lou, the show in which I discuss the top tech secrets for success from the best in today's digital world. Last time I spoke with Lark Hall, the performance alias of Charlie Williams, who is a composer, a pianist and also a creative coder. He developed Sing Smash, a game you play by singing, that landed him the job to develop audio recognition software and app Shazam. If you haven't already listened, head back after this episode and let me know what you think. My guest today is an award-winning entrepreneur with over 10 years experience, currently running two SaaS businesses with remote and global teams. They also support as a board member and consultant for companies such as Sony PlayStation. I'd like to welcome Alexis Kingsbury to my podcast. Hi, Alexis. Hi there, Lou. Thank you very much for having me. You're very welcome. It's a great time to talk to you because I feel you're extremely busy. So I'm grateful for taking time out of your schedule. So um, I'd like to start just to explain to my listeners, if they don't already know, what a SaaS business is. Sure. So uh, I guess uh, it's probably useful to remind us all that the way that we used to buy software. So we used to buy software in a box from a shop, (laughs) probably on some kind of disc, floppy disk, CD, whatever it was. And then we put it in the computer and we bought it and that was it. We paid some upfront money. And then we get really frustrated because when we update our computer or the software needs updating, et cetera, we would uh, basically be told, yeah, you need to buy the next version. And so then we'd go to the shop and we'd buy another one and, and so on. And so what the software uh, industry has done is switch to this software as a service model, the SaaS model, where instead of having to buy something and then go and update it, you essentially rent the the software as a service on an ongoing basis and so by paying either a monthly or annual fee you've got access to the software and it the uh, team behind it are incentivized to keep it up to date to keep it working for you keep on improving it so that you stay with them and that's the whole kind of SaaS industry in a nutshell I suppose. Oh thank you you make it sound uh like we we've just transitioned really beautifully from from the days of the freebie software on magazines or uh you know buying buying boxes in you know computer shops or whatever um but actually i think it's been a really seamless transition and it feels like society has just really adopted this particular model um and we've moved quite comfortably into it you know i kind of remember the really uncomfortable phase of us using floppy disks and having to install maybe 20 or 30 of these disks and then moving to a cd-rom i don't even think i've got any machines that i can load a cd-rom into these days so uh (laughs) 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 yeah i'm not admitting to it (laughs) it feels like hardware and software for once have kind of gone hand in hand and one hasn't superseded the other um But I want to kind of take you back, um, Alexis, because we've spoken prior to this podcast and we spoke about our kind of web development history. But you did something a bit different. You kind of started um, in monetizing the work you were doing quite early on. So tell me a bit about that. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that um, I, I, I probably did quite quietly when I was at school uh, for fear of ridicule, and now look back on it as this this thing that probably put me in quite good stead. So, when I got my, I think it was, I think it was my first computer, 
uh, and I started playing around with it and learning on it. And that was often my sort of fun activity. Um, and uh, one of the things that I started to get into was writing uh, code for writing web pages. And this was early internet when it was still a uh, perceived to be a good idea to have a, a GIF file of a dancing baby or uh, one of those weird like rotating new symbols on everything. <laughs> like, all of that's gone now. We've decided that's <laughs> is that, just too is that web web 1.0 or was it yeah. even before that before, yeah, pos- before the, the term was even coined <laughs> yeah i think it's like that whole you know world war one was not called world war one at the time i think we didn't even call it web 1.0 back then and so um so back then i was i was writing creating these web pages and uh what's interesting perhaps gives us full circle is one of the first websites i created was called psx fanatic which was a a playstation fan site basically with cheats and walkthroughs and i remember it's funny you you allude to like 1.0 and 2.0 of web i remember creating a a form on the site where people could like submit cheats and walkthroughs and reviews um and then what i would do is i would then receive that via an email and then i would go and like put it on the page and the idea was that it's you know it's like someone's posting i mean now we just take that for granted as a technology that you have is that anyone can like comment on a blog or post yeah. on social media whereas back then that wasn't a thing I think it's really valid I think it's really valid to prove yeah. points in a manual process because actually it kind of demonstrates the flow of data so whether it's the magic that happens in a database and kind of read write um, function or whether it's the slow process I remember building a site for a friend it was kind of a milestone birthday and they wanted to kind of have comments and, and lovely things and an invite online but I did exactly the same you know getting people to dummy send to a form that sent me an email that then going to kind of update and you know color coding and making it all look really pretty but um it's proving the point and i think whatever whatever you do to make that work in the quickest possible way it's proving that step-by-step process absolutely i think there's a term called manual turk which i think comes from the um, there's a, 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 a historical example of where there was this supposed automated chess playing machine that thoroughly impressed everyone at how this uh, seeming robot of uh, uh, of this Turkish chess player would move these uh, chess pieces seemingly, you know, automatically in response. And the reality is that there was someone underneath the table <laughs> hidden moving the whole thing <laughs> and hence the manual dirt. But of course, that's a concept that's actually stood us in good stead throughout my software businesses is often yeah. before you spend months of development putting together something that you think is the right answer, it's better to create something that actually has that kind of manual Turk element, that secret thing behind uh, so that yep. you can test whether it's even going to be useful before you then put in all of the effort. And it's a tricky balance, but I think that um, those early experiments in, in tech have uh, definitely helped me uh, later on. Um, and so, yeah, so it was back then that I initially started those sorts of websites. And it's funny because, of course, many years later, I end up doing consulting work for Sony PlayStation, <laughs> having, having had a fan site as one of my first businesses if you like oh, maybe um, that's why it happened you, you yeah. set the, set the uh, intention very early on that's right yeah the communication to the universe and all that yeah so um yeah so that that's that was really cool but the the bit that 
um, I suddenly got really interested in was back then you could make money not um, not through click through advertising, but uh, just by having a banner on your website and it receiving impressions like people didn't even have to click on it for you to earn money. And so what I found is that by creating a website that people might find and come to. Uh, I could suddenly get these these uh, checks at the time through the post with, you know, I think my first one was $75. Well, this is fantastic, you know, particularly as a kid still at school. And so uh, that sort of started to stoke my love of creating things and particularly utilizing tech to do so. That yeah. then generated uh, real uh, tangible results that you could point at and go, oh, yeah, it generated this kind of money. And so uh, over the subsequent years, I've, I've, I have played <laughs> in a variety of different uh, sort of businesses and industries and whatever to see, see what would work. Um, whether it was selling headsets at the uh, the early days of voice over IP, I was convinced that the back the back ne- uh, back head back neck oh, yep. headsets yep. that don't go over the top because why would people want them to go over top? I mean, who wears back <laughs> head ones now? Um, but there was a, a short Look, period. Um, Alexis, I may have listeners that still wear them. Oh well, uh, good. <laughs> I hope they bought them from me about you know sort of fifteen years ago. <laughs> <laughs> they were very high quality <laughs> um but yeah so it's it, it's it's funny those those early experiences taught me a lot about that bringing together between the tech stuff that i just loved geeking out over yeah. and then the business side and the marketing side and and so on you know like when i was doing those those headsets i even reached out to the people at Skype when they were in their really early days uh, and got paid in call credits to, to oh, come wow. up with kind of marketing messages to to promote them uh, at the campus on uh, university and so on. So, um, yeah, it's uh, I've always enjoyed that, that coming together with those two things. I, I like the way that you're using your initiative to um, kind of monetize but not literally burning every hour you're really thinking um kind of cleverly and logically about not i mean maybe not um you know financial income is your primary goal but how can you operate something uh without completely maxing out your hours you know there's some very intelligent thinking around some of that is there anything um that would suggest that that's where your mindset and kind of thinking has come from yeah so i it's true to say that i've always been uh, uh, keen on the the concept of working smart rather than hard um i don't think that's from a laziness <laughs> perspective i think i think oh, i wasn't i wasn't even going there it's like <laughs> i i know for myself literally you know it's hard work ethic literally i've got to work mm. every hour and, and make the most of it but i you know i do know that there are other mindsets and i'm really intrigued as to what the factors are that encourage that mindset of success yeah, and I, th- I think it's been different things over time. So, I'd, I'd, like in the very early days, when I was kind of ha- having to balance doing business things and school, and frankly, also wanting to play computer games and things like that, <laughs> it was it was genuinely probably about just just making sure that I still got time to do all those other things. Um, and then, obviously, that's that's kind of 
changed over time with uh, university and then work, like just constantly having to balance that great sense of balance and wanting to do yeah. wanting to do everything. In fact, my my eight year old son, uh, when whenever we talk to him about you know what what are the sorts of things or people ask him you know what do you think you might want to be when you grow up or whatever, and his answer is I want to do everything. Like every oh, job, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 actually, I I, th- I reflect on that and think that's probably not dissimilar to how I feel about a lot of things. Like I want to do, yeah. I want to be able to do everything, and yeah. so to do so, you, you have to have this balance. And I I think in later life, and actually not even that that much later, but I started to th- look ahead to when I've got a family, and myself and my business partner when we then started uh, the consultancy and then our. Uh, first software business together um, which was uh, spider gap uh, back in 2010 11 um, was uh, when we started to create that and we very, had this very much sense of at some point we will both have partners and children and may not want to can still be living in london therefore we need to build a business that gives us good work-life balance and is flexible which is why we went remote from the beginning and anyone that yes. we hired we always had remotely and work remotely and so on wow and so I think we always had that intent and expectation, which turned out to have been a smart move because I ended up uh, just over 100 miles north of London in uh, Stamford in Lincolnshire. And my business partner ended up in Gothenburg in Sweden. So uh, oh, wow. da- daily meetings at, at, in the office with the team would have been somewhat challenging to uh, to organise. So that's that sounds really that you were taking massive initiative to build something that was scalable for your lifestyle. Um, and I think, you know, it's a really smart move to make decisions based on lifestyle rather than immediate kind of needs mm. and uh, things. Um, I applaud you on that one. I think that's, you know, back in 2010 to take that initiative to do that. We've always just been quite good at looking at the where are we trying to get to in the long term and try and design for that. Um, obviously, not always. I'm sure there's plenty of this. I mean, there's certainly lots of bad decisions have made and short term decisions have made. But in general, we're good yeah. at looking looking forwards. And I think that's a, a useful kind of takeaway is what is it that you want your life to look like? 10 years from now um, yeah. because ultimately the decisions you're making now the the roots you're putting down the foundations you're laying are going to take your life in a particular direction and and if you're laying those foundations in line with the direction you want then great and you you're actually likely to get there you know there's um we often tend to underestimate what's possible over that long term and so yeah. it's amazing when you kind of look back uh, I think particularly as an entrepreneur, it's it's common to, along the way, everything feels really slow. It feels so much slower than you expected it to be or wanted to be. Yep. And then, you know, you have an interview like this or whatever, and someone describes you in terms that you kind of feel an imposter around because they like, they describe yes. me like, <laughs> it, it didn't feel fast and rocket success and do all these things all the way along. But I think it's because... We in the short term we think we can achieve great things, but actually yeah. in the long term we don't have a, do a good job of imagining what that might actually look yes. like. So, I know that's um, I'm I'm kind of intrigued with the the ten year plan because I I when I worked in corporate I had a ten year plan, but it also felt like I was writing the ten year plan as if I was in the position I was in, rather than a ten year plan imagining kind of incremental years and imagining I was 10 years on from where where I was um, and it feels like your mindset 
you almost put yourself in the position in 10 years time and and wrote your plan rather than be in the position and kind of you know forecast rather than kind of a backcast scenario um, yeah that's so- a really good way of uh, describing it I, I think you're right i hadn't i hadn't thought about it in that particular way but i think you're right it's it's not just what would what would I like from 10 years from now? It's, yeah, as you say, managing, imagining yourself already there and thinking about, I think people often shy away from doing something like 10 year plan because they just go, oh, anything, anything could happen. And that's true. Absolutely yes. true. But yeah. actually there will be some very specific things that you want um and for some people it might be where they are that might be a really cool part it might be because they would need to be near their family or whatever or it yeah. might be because they're expecting uh their family needs in terms of kids or whatever or yes. uh, space or schools or you know i think also for some people it's about career or um uh, fame or fortune or whatever it is but it's not yeah. about trying to paint every single part of that particularly for the things you don't care about so much yeah it's far more important to identify you know if you like the uh, to use the the jigsaw anal- an- an- analogy it's it's not trying to do the whole thing it's what are the corner pieces and and getting those in place, the things that really matter to you, and you'd be disappointed if ten years from now weren't the case. And so yes. I think starting with that is probably helpful. And as you say, imagining that you're already there, and what does it look like? Mm. I love I love these conversations. You're listening to Tech Talks with Lou, and I'm Lou Temlett. And today I'm talking with Alexis Kingsbury, award-winning entrepreneur, currently running two of his own SaaS businesses. So, Alexis, I want to kind of come on to management consultancy and company processes. And also, we briefly mentioned imposter syndrome, uh, and we'll kind of come along to that. But first of all, management consultancy and the work you're currently doing. Sure. So my background, I guess, uh, aside, aside from some of the very early tech businessy type stuff I did while at school, was um, was management consulting, because after leaving university where I studied management science uh, I was looking for roles that gave me the ability to do everything I suppose <laughs> it was the ability to, to get exposure to to all aspects of business and work and I felt that management consultancy offered a really good fit for that it would allow me a lot of exposure to different businesses to some extent it meant that I didn't have to choose one and stay there for three years I got to do multiple projects and work with amazing organizations like Honda and AstraZeneca and BP and uh, the foreign office and all sorts of different organizations to do really interesting projects with them and so that's what I did straight out of uh, university uh, but Honestly, it was terrifying. Those, those, that first project particularly, but actually first multiple projects, I would go in knowing that I was being sold to the client at about a thousand pounds a day. And as a, as a student, like as, or as someone who essentially feels a bit like, oh, I'm just a student, despite the fact that actually by that point, I'd also done uh, a year full time for DHL, doing a variety of really interesting things there uh, after initially being brought in as an IT support person and then getting involved in project management, training, coaching, all sorts of things. and uh, and having these other exper- uh, other experiences in part-time roles but at the time i think i just felt like oh you know what do i know that i'm going to be working with a load of people that have been working for many years in their roles uh, yeah. often and i'm meant to come in and add a thousand pounds of value per day and i must admit i was terrified that 
not just the first day, but I was imagining that a cruise. Like, you know, if I don't add any value in the first week, I've now, you know, the Monday, the following week, I now have to add 6,000 pounds of value <laughs> to make it all this. back. This, and, that, that's quite something, really, oh, to have that level of responsibility. But, terrible. you know, like being in any role, we know that we don't recruit to make people fall over and, you know, not be good at their job. We we know that we recruit um, it with you know, that other individual's best interest at heart. And we know that they can do it, but it's just, um, you know, convincing that person or allowing them to be convinced that they can do that. So what was the shift in knowing that you were able to deliver value to these organisations? Well, I I think there was a a short-term shift and a long-term shift. The short-term shift was after, I think, the first morning when I had been asked to watch a member of this particular organization, watch what they were doing, document it so it could be turned into processes and improved so that we could make the uh, team more efficient. And I remember watching what they were doing and noting it down. And then after a little while, I said, um, why, why are you doing it in that way? Why are you copying? Why are you retyping in the formula into that spreadsheet each time? And they said, well, yeah, I, I need each of these to like add up and do this. I said, well, yeah, no, no, I, I know. But why don't you just copy the cells down? And they didn't know what I was talking about. And I realized then that even the the Excel geekery that I had uh, attained over the years up to that point was so suddenly going to yield fruit <laughs> as I was able <laughs> to save them days or even weeks of their time uh, yes. within a couple of days of consulting. And so as a result, that that short-term blip was suddenly this realisation that actually you don't need loads of experience in their role. The value you're bringing as a consultant is the opposite. It's bringing the experience outside of their role, having yes. you know, done a load of stuff that they hadn't done and knowing stuff that they didn't know. And mm. so I was able to add a load of value by suddenly saving them a lot of time um which so that helped a lot in the in the initial uh, in the initial days and weeks as a consultant um did you find any um conflict in that situation because often when there are external people in a business um it and someone's observing trying to add value did you kind of experience any kind of frosty feelings or um things that weren't quite so comfortable for the organization or the individuals in those organizations uh definitely not always a lot of the time people were really nice and understood that i was just there to try and help them and the and the team to to work more efficiently but it would be fair to say that in some cases the result of the work that was being done in that particular project was to make redundancies and and find efficiencies in the team so uh, there was a legitimate reason why some might be defensive but also even in other cases just people generally finding it annoying that I was asking seemingly basic questions and not letting them get on with their day-to-day and and particularly for those that kind of felt like they're only a few years away from retirement and they just want to get on and and do it I think sometimes I'd get a bit of pushback particularly being so junior by comparison Um, and so I, I think the key was asking asking questions trying to add value as quickly as I could um but um but also just uh yeah also making sure that I was demonstrating that I was listening and that I valued their input and so on you know making sure that I was I was clear to them saying 
you're the expert i'm yeah. i'm just collating this from you and it actually reminds me of back, back when i was um uh doing uh, a job as a trainer at dhl prior to all of that i remember uh, in the canteen in a break uh between training sessions that i was running i remember this uh person is probably i'd say uh, probably only five years away from retirement, but had joined this uh, this team uh, on, on the in the call center, and he asked me, and I was even younger than in my consulting days, and said like, "How do you feel able to train us on customer service and so on?" And of course, my re- my yeah. face just went bright red. I was paralyzed by this because, of course, he was speaking to a an imposter syndrome at the heart of me yes completely <laughs> so, I, so i paused for a minute and i took a uh, had a bit of a sharp intake of breath and felt the pain in my stomach at this gut yeah. and i don't think he particularly meant it in a mean way um uh, but but it was said relatively bluntly and in front of other people and so i knew yeah. i had to answer it and so i i answered in that say in a similar way it's you're the experts you're the ones that bring experience of customer service from your other organizations i just know how it is done here and this is my job to bring out from you all those great experiences and see how we apply it to the to the way it's done here and and the products and services that the dhl offers yeah and um Fortunately, that was that was sufficient to allow me, allow me to, to escape that situation <laughs> and, and enjoy the rest of your lunch. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I, I can kind of feel, you know, the emotions that you would have been going through. Yeah. And I think, you know, many of us entrepreneurs, you know, have moments of imposter syndrome. It's really yeah. quite prevalent. But also knowing from a management consultant, see perspective i can see now how my business would benefit from management consultant consultancy because you know we we go through you know all, all our projects and um you know working processes but how incredible would it be for someone to come in and review that and actually gain some efficiencies? You know, we all try and work really efficiently and cost effectively and all of those things. But, you know, sometimes it does take somebody else just to see those things and have exposure on that, you know, either to confirm that you're doing a really great job or to actually increase the efficiency of a business. So I, I really already see the the value of management consultancy, even in small organizations. Absolutely. And it's, it's something that consultancy has tended to be something that only large companies have been able to kind of afford because of the, the economies of scale and so on. Mm. And, uh, for example, one of our consultants on the, on my, in my, because uh, so I have consulting business, I have two software businesses, uh, one of which also provides some consulting. Um, but one of our consultants is working with a client um, at the moment. And uh, one of the many things that sh- she's been helping them with was kind of ascertaining what's the uh, the market size uh, that they're working with and as a result what their market share is and previously they'd got this particular answer which she challenged based on some other data and initially the pushback was no no you're wrong you must have done these calculations wrong we know that we're a really big player and there's very little further opportunity for us to grow because we take up so much of the share and this is because all these calculations and it was only recently that she finally got sent like this is here's the spreadsheet with our calculations this is why we're right and she looked at it and went, huh, 
you've missed this particular assumption that as a result means that you are undervaluing the market by five times. Wow. <laughs> and, it, and of course, this is, you know, this is a consultant that's not been working with that business as long as all the people in it, but it, rec- yes. it just needs someone to be willing to re-look at things and, and look at it with a different angle. And that, that, that particular example is um, uh, a consult in from our, Bridging Insight consulting business where they're working with large client. But actually what's nice is with Air Manual, where we have a, a software tool for documenting process and onboarding and so on. Like we we found that a lot of smaller businesses would value the support, but weren't able to normally get consultants and so on because it's so expensive. But we yeah. found that um, we can kind of do a done with you, which isn't a normal kind of consulting model particularly where we kind of get them to document the processes and so on so that they're able to improve some areas but also learn and that's been really interesting because it's it means that in my journey as a consultant and working in the consulting area I've gone from projects where the client might be spending a million plus to projects when we were doing as consultants in the first part of the business 50 to 100,000. And now we're able to do these businesses, these consulting projects for small businesses at more like three, four, 5,000. And it's really interesting how we've kind of used technology uh, and and changing the approach so that we could then uh, deliver that. And I think that's something that I think is really nice to see in the world of small businesses and entrepreneurship is these uh, software, uh, consulting support, coaching support, services, all these things that previously were the realm of only large businesses and now yes. becoming available to smaller ones as well, which is a really nice sort of democratization of, <laughs> of these sorts of things. Yes, I think I think that's what we all need. You know, we need to know that these things are accessible um, across the board and technology has made that viable and cost effective which uh you know is a fabulous thing so we we talked about um the gap between saying yes and doing um and if you remember our conversation it was about you know people agreeing and then actually going ahead and making the action um can you kind of uh, enlighten enlighten our listeners any more on on your experience with this yeah i think i think there's two sides to it i think there's um there's one for for us as individuals and and for myself as an entrepreneur uh deciding that i'm going to do something and then taking action to do it are quite different steps and <laughs> and often there's a lot of obstacles to to overcome whether it's procrastination time management and so on or often just overcoming fear I think that yeah. there's so much, and I think a lot um, people are talking about fear a lot more in the same way as people have been talking about imposter syndrome and so on. Like that fear is often the thing that holds us back, whether it's fear, fear of failure or fear of judgment or fear of success or whatever. I think that sometimes we know that we'd like to do something, but then constantly hold ourselves back because of that, that fear. And I think um, particularly as business leaders, you need to be willing to identify those fears that are not serving you and then do them, you know, face that fear because then yes. it disappears. And so I think that's that's one side of it. And then I'd say for others, particularly those that you're managing and, and growing within the team, I think that trying to help it's essentially a coaching activity of trying to help them to um, identify what are the the outcomes that they want and then how are they going to do that and one things that I think I hadn't appreciated uh, when I first started hiring people like I would 
I would hire people that were very experienced or were friends or were uh, contractors and very experienced or, or whatever, probably out of a name of not having to manage them. <laughs> I, think, yep. I think I just feared having to do that management, mm. partly because when I was a consultant, I was told I'd never be a good manager by my manager, which uh, yeah. I now realize makes them a bad manager, not me. Um, and, uh, and I think as a result, I held myself back. I held myself back from from managing through that fear and so uh didn't whenever i hired people experienced people and so on i didn't set them up for success yeah and it's only in later parts of my career that i've realized that actually success and the mo- the biggest achievements come from building teams and, and having people around you to do amazing stuff together yeah um, and to do that you need to set them up, as I say, you need to set them up with success. You need to set them up with the tools, the processes, the guidance to do so. And I yeah. think when someone says, yes, I want to, I want, you know, I want to achieve this responsibility. I want to to deliver this for you. I think you then have to work backwards with, with them and support them through questions, coaching um, yeah. to help them identify, okay, what are the things that you need to get done and, and get that written down? Because then it's so easy then to get lost in the weeds. Like it's so easy to go, oh yes, I'm so clear on what I must do to achieve this outcome. <laughs> and then it's like, right, day one. Now, what was it that I need to start off with? And then just everything just slows down. So I think yes. um, as a manager, helping people to really break down what it's going to take to achieve an outcome, get it written down so that they can they can then follow it along is yes. uh, it makes a difference. And and as a result, I do that for myself too. <laughs> oh fab I think it's really interesting you know we we may have all been told something negative about you know the way we operate in business and we've taken that on board um and it's really hard to shift some of those projected um comments because often they're not about the risk you know the person receiving it it's more about the insecurities of the person that's actually sharing it with you but it's being able to tell the difference and being able to kind of manage your own expectations and then identify what your kind of areas of of development or your you know the challenging things that you have to kind of overcome um and i think that takes time and and a bit more kind of not soul searching but there's a there's an element of personal development um, within the workplace as well now how do you use technology to support um individuals in this process yeah. So, uh, as in managing teams and, and yeah. Those sort of people. yeah. So uh, there's a few different ways that, that we've done that. And, and this has developed heavily over time. You know, there, there are so many mistakes and failed hires and so on that I now look back at, uh, look back on and cringe. Uh, but uh, some of the, the ways that we do it now mean that we have a very happy team that are, that when we bring new joiners in, they get up to speed really, really fast. We don't, don't repeat mistakes uh, and as a result it's enabled it's freed up my time I, for example i'm no longer operationally required in uh, spider gap uh, that business is able to run without me day to day and yep. uh, a lot of that has been down to how we've kind of built the team and used technology to do that i'd say uh, some of the obvious stuff would be when you're selecting 
candidates and finding the right people, make sure that you're using tools so that you can process a really large number of candidates. People are often surprised to learn that when we're looking for a software developer, we'll typically aim to get over 2,000 applications so that we can filter them down and end up with the absolute A players that are, are the perfect fit for us, both in terms of fit for the role, but also cultural fit to our values. But then beyond that, what we do is we make sure that we've got uh, detailed processes in the forms of checklists that can be used to onboard people. So for example, when someone joins our organization on uh, even before day one, they'll get access to a checklist that helps them prepare for their first day. Because of course, People joining an organization are terrified. It's a bit like that yes. uh, that first consulting project uh, that I had. We, we have some expectations, but there's so much that's unknown. And I think particularly A players, they want to be ready. They want, they're very willing to do any reading or action taking that you can provide. And so you do them a great disservice. If you say, oh, don't worry about it, just show up on Monday and it'll be fine. I think the more that you can give them and say, follow these steps to to learn about our values, to to learn about our journey, to set up your computer securely and all these things, the more that they feel ready and welcomed and supported when they, when they start. And this is Uh, the difference between um you know hiring a successful uh, uh, individual to be successful and kind of empowering them and giving them what they need in addition to their you know core excellence in in their role you know Absolutely. it's really you know it, it that feels like you're bringing it all together and actually you know giving the best service to your employees and the people that work for you I think absolutely. I think it's it's. I think in the past, I perhaps uh, always focused on one or the other. It was either right. We need to get really great talent, and then yeah. I won't need to manage them and develop them as much. Or I was thinking, actually, it's not about the talent. It's great processes and so on. And the answer is, it reminds me of. I think it's a, a quote from Piaget when he was asked. Um, what matters more, uh, nature or nurture? And he said, what matters more in the area of a field, length or width? Like you need both of the things together. It's you want great people, but you also then need the good processes and structure in your organization. And then when those two things come together, it's great. And the structuring, including supported by technology, because we don't just start, we don't stop our onboarding with either the stuff that leads up to day one or even day one. But typically that onboarding is goes easily to a month, two months, potentially up to six months in the organization. And frankly, by then, we're then developing them into another role, which would then have onboarding for. And of course, that means that, uh, and and because we use self-service checklists, it means that the employee can drive their own development. They can follow step by step to to kind of learn things. And the other nice thing is that because it's documented and it's not spoon-fed, it saves a load of my time because I'm not having to spend five hours a day training them. Instead, I had two consultants join me uh, in November 2021 and joined on the same day. And I didn't have to update my schedule. I still had loads of sales calls and you know interviews and things uh, with uh, with both prospective employees and in, uh, podcast interviews and so on. I didn't have to change my schedule. It took me an hour and a half of total time across the two of them over the first seven days. And that's wow. because so much of what they were learning was self-driven. Um, yeah. But then, you know, when I was engaging with them, it was it was value add. But then yeah. over the over the weeks from then, one of the things that's been so fantastic is they're really smart people so of course they ask questions or highlight things where they go oh at my previous company we did this or you know i wondered whether 
you know, I was a bit confused by this or I had a question. The great thing is I was able to answer it and then they go and update the documents. So it means that the other consultant then didn't ask me that same question. And of course, whenever we hire in the future, we don't get it. And that's, it's that attitude that means that we don't get repeated mistakes and repeated questions because it's that, all just then rebuilt into the tech. Um, that sounds fabulous that it becomes a really iterative process and is ongoing. So it's not just a, I think this is the value of kind of SaaS businesses, that it's a, an ongoing development. It's not a, you know, um, uh, you know, an artist creating something that's static. It's not someone that's producing a magazine that can't be changed once it's gone to print. It's an ongoing flowing process. Now, how um, could smaller businesses utilize and implement something like this cost effectively and um you know, kind of to start with the, a good foundation if they're recruiting and, and wanting to kind of move forwards. Do any of your products kind of support smaller businesses to do this from the offset? Yes, absolutely. So with airmanual.co, we provide uh, essentially an online tool that allows you to document those processes and those onboarding as interactive checklists that can uh, that it means that employees can follow and that they can crucially that they can make the updates when uh, when there are questions that get resolved or mistakes that get made etc and yeah. so uh, that exists as a tool is highly cost effective for even small small teams and they can they can use it just uh, as it stands as a classic uh, software as a service we do then also have consultants in our team that then can provide additional support as a kind of done with you or done for you model so that partly so that we can get you started because some of this stuff i think the first time you do it can feel quite daunting and often you need a bit of support and accountability and time blocked in and then you start to get the momentum you know we worked with one small business owner who he found that he was just absolutely uh, run ragged and overwhelmed and having to do 100 hours a week kind of setup and he said i know i need to document some of this stuff but i just don't know where to start or whatever and so i said well where are you spending most of your time at the moment he said i'm spending three hours a day on price quotes for customers and yeah. so over the course of the next 45 minutes, we documented the entire process. We then handed it over in a subsequent call to his team, saving him 15 hours a week. And of course, wow. then you've got more space that enables you to then work on the business more and continue that process. Because this is an iterative thing that you want to be doing over time. Yeah. So we do that. Those are that is support that we provide. We've also got some free resources uh, that people can get hold of either by going to airmanual.co uh, or uh, or reaching out to me on social media. Um, you can find me on like LinkedIn and so on. It's Alexis Kingsbury. So uh, yeah, very happily help out on that because it's it's so hard. I think that's the one of the benefits I've had from going through the process of starting multiple businesses, not all successful, <laughs> uh, and then ha have, having a few that have grown successful uh, and have, uh, have been able to grow the team and finding mm. my way means that I don't um, underestimate the challenge that exists. And equally, even as a consultant working with all those other larger organizations, it is not easy to step back from your organization and document a process in a really efficient way that other people will understand first time you ever do it. <laughs> It, yeah. it, it, it does it does require something else and i think that's why i'm so passionate and love the fact that we're able to now work with smaller businesses in a way that previously we just wouldn't have been able to uh, to do cost effectively 
Yes, I think it's absolutely fundamental for any entrepreneur to, you know, for me, it feels like it's it's the best way to start with a really strong foundation, you know, whether it's the tech side and the security and, you know, all of the fundamental online services, or whether it's the processes and actually the hiring and recruiting process, that all of the those skills and tools are available to anyone running a small to medium sized business but it's having having the mindset to uh kind of address where we're losing time or where we're spending the most time doing something um and whilst that's really comfortable and this is where the imposter syndrome kind of comes in you go you know uh can I let go of that? Uh, if I if I don't do that, uh, am I not going to be such a good um, manager or business owner or whatever it is? But uh, I think, you know, one of the things for me is asking for help and feeling comfortable with that um, and kind of working through that process uh, to a hire people that are expert in their fields, but also support them with yeah. the, the kind of processing and the onboarding and and all of the personal development so yeah it feels like two really strong channels when it comes to hiring people within an organization whether it be something really small or some you know some large organization yeah i think that's really smart i think that um it's funny it remind, reminds me a bit of uh, what we were talking about earlier where we talk about uh looking forwards and imag- imagining yourself 10 years from now is that i think the um, when you start to do that, you start. It makes it a bit easier to kind of overcome some of those fears and those barriers. Because, for yeah. example, if you're, let's say, that you're a small business owner at the moment, maybe you've got um, three members of staff, or maybe sort of five contractors, or, or perhaps using outsourcers or virtual assistants or whatever, and perhaps you're at that pain point where it's like it's starting to feel a bit messy. Uh, in general, it's kind of working okay. Therefore, you could bumble along and kind of scrap and work it out. Whereas, of course, if you roll forwards and imagine yourself 10 years from now and think, okay, no, I, I want to be in a business where I'm not doing 100 hours a week. I want to be able to go on holiday for two, three, four weeks. I'm, I'll, I'll be doing six uh, this year. Um, I, want to do, I want to be able to do those holidays without having to uh, be constantly available and 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 do yes. uh, and be able to respond to those. I want to build a team that enjoy working with me and uh, and want to stay. And I think as soon as you start going, yeah, absolutely, I want those things. I don't want to be struggling along ten years from now. It forces you to go, okay. So I do need to put these foundations in place. I can't yes. if I just scrap along now, or if I I don't learn these skills and I don't manage people properly, I will never get there. And I think yes. that makes it easier to then overcome some of those self limiting beliefs. Those fears that sense of imposter syndrome because you, you and, and as a result seek help because otherwise you just you know you're you're, you're doomed to failure because <laughs> you don't look out for that um, and yeah. it's interesting because the area of like documenting process and onboarding one of the things that we've seen is that sometimes we'll talk to business owners who haven't done really anything in this area before in some cases they have done it and they have got stuff some stuff documented but it's a mess you know it's in a yeah. it's in a load of word documents or google documents that just sit in one big folder it's really yeah. difficult to find anything um and, but in theory it exists and it's it's almost worse because then when when an employee gets something wrong you can't 
say well okay let's go back to what was the process that you followed because if they say oh well i couldn't find one you're not able to go well that's not acceptable you should have found the process you know you you need good management of those sorts of things to be in place you need a format that works and so i think that's one of the things that we've come we sort of realized and developed and as a result kind of built into the tool and the way that we work because having having something that's not fit for purpose is worse than not having anything at all because it prevents you from then um, uh, replacing it. You know, it's a yeah. little bit like having a C player in your organization is, is worse than not having them because they're taking up a seat. <laughs> you, you know, you, you could be replacing them, but instead by keeping them, you just carry on and it's painful and everyone gets stressed out and you're not maximizing performance and it's a massive waste so i think that's that's the key is looking at your what you're doing and identifying what are the things that are okay but not good enough for the for the 10-year version of you and uh, and as a result what are you going to put in place to uh, to improve that I think one of one of the things that I've been learning over the last number of months is that, you know, there can't just be one single critical person within your business because it's not scalable. You can't grow. You know, um, we both have families um, and they take up a lot of time and responsibility. And I think, you know, having that balance of life is really quite key as well. But knowing that, you know, you don't have to do all of this on your own. um, That's kind of. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So a bit like the uh, the management theorist Peter Drucker said that uh, um, no uh, institution or organization can grow, like be successful sustainably if it requires geniuses or super superhumans to be able to run it. It must be able to be managed by the average, essentially average people. Now, of course, you don't want to only hire average people. Hopefully your ambition in your organization is to be surrounded by really fantastic people, but you shouldn't rely on them all being absolute geniuses and so on for your organization to work. You do need to have those those things in place, those those practices, techniques, rhythm, you know, meeting rhythm is really important. Having documented processes, having do- onboarding that people can follow, all those sorts of things mean that not only do you get better results, but actually your team love it. And it's one of the things that often people remark on when coming into our organization as a new joiner is how well to put together everything feels and how organized it is and and how empowering and supportive and encouraging and uh, and so on that is because they feel like they're going into a proper organization that just know that knows what it's doing and they feel supported and, and able to then like add value compared yeah. to you know I, I remember, I've I've been in organizations where you turn up and they go oh is today your first day oh okay then and then it's like you're ushered over to where you might end up working it's like well we haven't yeah. got a desk for you yet but you can use Susan's because she's mm. out sick at the moment it's uh, it's at that point you turn on your heel and leave <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> um alexis i just want to thank you so much for being uh, part of the podcast and uh you know the, the tech talks with lou i think you know it's been really fundamental to hear um your progress the consultancy what can be you know really fundamental for small medium and large size businesses now you you mentioned how people can get hold of you but it'd be really great just to reiterate how how people can connect with you sure so uh please do connect with me on social media like linkedin and uh, and facebook and so on so lexus kingsbury uh, i'm always amazed at how few people 
um, sort of take that that step. I think that uh, we're often a bit shy. Certainly, I am when I listen to to podcasts and so on. And I think oh, that was really useful, but then I don't reach out. So please do like do connect with me. Uh, you can even even email me as well if you'd prefer. Alexis.Kingsbury at airmanual.co. I'd love to hear from people. Hear the kind of challenges that they're having. Hear what was most useful to them or any questions that they've got. You know, it's a it's a tough journey when you're trying to improve things but anyone out there that is looking to improve then you're a friend of mine so uh, uh, i'm always up for helping alexis i just want to thank you for reaching out um and uh yeah connecting so that you could be on my podcast it's been an absolutely fantastic conversation i've learned loads from you and uh, i think we've been able to reflect along the way uh, with our different journeys so i'm just Definitely. so grateful and oh, uh, look you. forward to connecting with you again in the future yeah no it's been fantastic thank you so much Lou. it's been a, an absolute honor great stuff thank you alexis cheers thank you you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have recording it. I look forward to have you listening in again for the next episode. And in the meantime, I'd love you to rate, review and download this episode. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>